Mike, how are you doing tonight? I'm excellent, David. Good to see you. It's good to see you too. Um, another episode of Your Exit Squad. Yeah, this one's going to be a little different though, isn't it? Yes, we have no guest. No guest today. Uh, opportunity for us to maybe fill in a little bit of the background about why we're doing this in the first place and what we're bringing to the table to do it, right? Yeah, absolutely. We we got into filming this first season and we realized that some of the people watching may not have any idea who we are. That's so right. we thought it would be great to create an episode where we popped in and uh, introduced ourselves a little bit. So David, how did you end up doing this? What, uh, why in the world are you doing this show? You've got a successful YouTube channel. You're a busy consultant. What, what in the world made you want to do this? Well, I, I, wanted to do this show because I wanted to point a light at the reality of small business endeavors that I know through my everyday interactions are very different from what most people see when they log into the internet and they look at the world of business. And when people who are interested in business look online for information about business. They're, they're given a whole bunch of stuff that I know is not entirely reflective of the reality of business ownership. And when people who own businesses go looking for information concerning how to operate a business or how to exit a business, the conversations that they most often come across don't really apply to businesses like the majority of businesses that are out there. There's so much stuff out there from the middle and the larger businesses that really dominates the conversation. And you and I have both worked in the world of, of small business. And we know that, you know, what you, what is commonly portrayed as business is not the reality of what most people live in the actual world of business. Right. Right. And, you know, it's interesting to hear you mention that because we, we sometimes talk or we interact with people or we see the, we see the things that are out there that are untrue and that, um, you know, that's frustrating and that's um, makes you angry sometimes. But for me, the things that's even more terrifying is the vast majority of information out there that is incrementally true, right? It mm. applies to a very specific, Hey, if you're doing a private equity deal, this is a truth or might be a truth but it gets presented or uh, it doesn't get categorized. It doesn't get conditioned. And suddenly I can get 12 X for my business when I exit, or I should reasonably expect a bidding war for my business or right. These, uh, it is a, it is a truth in my professional life that this, this topic was unquestionably the biggest um, professional pivot in my life. The, 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 it was a, it was a two by four to my head of almost betrayal as, as dramatic as that sounds. I built this business and then it started a business in the mid nineties, started to grow it, added on a sister company to it. I'm 10 years in 50 full-time employees uh, by all, by all external measures, I should have been successful I was burnt to a crisp, decided I wanted to sell. Sorry, we can't help you. That, that I, I mean, just that, 
Well, I I think I think that we need to now have if I knew how to make it all black and white, I would because I'd say this is the flashback moment. Right. Let's talk about that business and let's talk about what misled you. Because, you know, from the outside, from what your neighbors saw and from what the business guys across the street from your office saw, they did see Mike, the successful businessman. That's right. right. And so often when we look at a business, we don't really know what we see. And and this is what I talk about when I say the, the truth of what really happens out there is not represented in what we see. Because until you actually see a set of financial statements for a business and really know what's going on in the business, you really don't have any idea. That's so right. what, what kind of business was that that you started in the 90s? Uh, I was I was doing um, consulting and business management work for uh, nonprofits, associations, and schools. Um, we had I don't know at, at, at our peak I think we had twenty five or thirty accountants. We had back office support, technical support, all su- so it was all designed around the operation and mechanical elements of a business office. Um, so I, I felt like I had my, um, I had some muscle tissue developed around how you run an organization and efficiencies and those sorts of things. Um, and, uh, David, I did my homework. See that that's the part that, that gets me about this is that I did not go into this idea of exit from my first business blind. I read the article that said a business kind of like mine should expect to sell for two times revenue. Wow. Right? That's exciting. So so as much as you could, you tried to get more customers. That's right. Why wouldn't I grow if my business, you know, one to two times revenue? And I thought, you know, even if it's one or a little under, that's more than enough runway for me to get out of this business and do what I want to do next. And, uh, Oh, Do you know who wrote the article and where he lives? <laughs> There's so, so, okay, thousands so of those articles out there, right? Right. right. It's uh, I, I I mean it's a it's a desert, right? It is a desert of information and all these mirages around where you think you're learning something. I thought I knew. I mean, what about you? I mean, you you've got a rich background in in selling businesses. Was there a moment of realization where you you thought this doesn't work the way I thought it did? Yeah. So for me, I mean, I, I talk a lot about my history working with the Yellow Pages, meeting all these different business owners. And I remember cluing in pretty quickly that I would sometimes go and visit people that seemed very successful and then... Uh, the way I was paid is if I signed a contract with you to, for placing some advertising, we might be doing that three or four months before the book deadline even happened. Sure. And then the, the book would come out maybe a month after that. But the the moment we signed the contract and I submitted it, I'd be paid my commission. It would appear on my commission statement. And that commission was was protected or they could claw it back pro rata up to six months into the publishing. So the once the book hit the hit the street five months later, 
for the first six months, if that business were to close and not pay the balance of the first half, pro rata deduction would be made for me. So if they only lasted three months, half the commission would be taken back. Interesting. And, and so I started to see, wow, those guys seem so healthy. I was just there. And here it is as a negative figure on my commission statement. So their failure took money out of your pocket. Right. And so it was a it was a big wake up because from from all appearances, I saw what I thought looked like a successful business. Yeah. And this is when I started to realize that you can't really tell. Nope. You can't really tell. There's certain telltale signs, I think, that appear at the very end for a lot of businesses if they're really struggling, like deferred maintenance and, and light bulbs that don't get replaced and things of that nature. But in the years I've been in business, I have come to know many business owners who clung to wanting to appear successful so long into the downturn that they literally drain all their personal resources trying to keep that baby alive, you know, that business. Right. Right. And so, the, you know, the, the yellow page years that led into my first business on my, well, with a partner, I started up and I actually tried to buy a franchise. I tried to buy one of those uh, junk removal franchises, 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Uh, sure. And went through their sales process, went on the webinar, you know, did the initial information package. They ended up telling me that my market was too small. And that's when I read that book, E-Myth. Yeah. And I took the tools from that book and I basically decided to copy as much as I could from that 1-800-GOT-JUNK model. And I started a business with a partner called Junk Away with a used truck. And we had a machine shop fit up the sides and gates on the back and tarp that would go over the top. And we built it up very, within six months, we had two employees. And then we got to the point where we had to make a decision whether we were going to buy a second truck or not. That's how busy we got. Yep. And that's when 1-800-GOT-JUNK came to town. And so they, they decided to sell it to somebody else after we had already gotten the business going. And in my lack of, in my naivete at that time, I thought, oh my goodness, they're gonna take part of our business. Now that there are two players, we're gonna suffer. And so we didn't buy the second truck. And it was a mistake because what they did is they poured tons of advertising effort into the market, raising awareness of this service. Sure. But we were the only ones in the yellow, in the phone book. This was back still when yellow pages were very relevant. And so I remember they used to park in a, at a busy intersection. They would wear clown wigs and wave at people. And um, people would call us and say, are you those guys that wave at cars and you pick up junk? Yes, that's what we do. We pick up junk. <laughs> All day long, the phone would ring and we would take, we would take their business because people didn't get it that the 1-800-GOT-JUNK was a toll-free number. Like maybe it was the font or the way it was spelled out. People, how funny here, is that? Even, to, even today here, we still have seven digit dialing. So, so I, I think people would have thought it was weird to call a toll free number to reach the business that obviously is right there. Sure. Right? And so they would look in the phone book and they'd find us. And so we couldn't keep up with it and had to have a, a real, decision moment about whether we wanted to grow the business or not. And by this time, my partner had decided to go into a career in financial planning. And I realized I didn't really like dealing with homeowners. I missed dealing with business people that I had been dealing with at the Yellow Pages. 
And so we decided to sell it. And that was the first business I ever had a hand in selling. And so we, sh- I had no idea how to sell a business. So we, we shopped it around to the different dumpster operators that are around here. And we had a couple of meetings and this one, the smallest of the dumpster companies that also did a few rural, you know, weekly trash routes, um, he bought it mm-hmm. and we had to do a deal. We, he used a leasing company to borrow against our truck. Um, we did a little bit of seller financing for him. We had to coach him through it. Um, you know, our paperwork was extremely amateurish. That wasn't a very big deal, obviously. Um, we were making money in the business. We were, me and my partner and the two other employees were, were being paid. We were drawing a salary, but there wasn't a whole lot beyond that. Sure. There, there wasn't much money beyond that. I mean, the, the best day we ever had was probably about $1,400 in revenue. And so, I could see that it could be a good business, but to really be a great business, it was going to have to grow substantially. And I doubted whether the city could sustain that. I found out later the reason that 1-800-GOT-JUNK sold the franchise to the other guy was because he actually took uh, the whole region. So he was operating a couple days a week in three different cities. Sure. And that's how, that's how he thought he was going to do well. Um, so I sold that business and then I got into the finance brokerage. And when I got into the finance brokerage, this is where I was meeting people that were trying to grow through uh, borrowing money. And my biggest source of referrals were the bankers at the big banks because their customers would come in and see them, uh, people who had deposit accounts, and they would say, I want to borrow money for this or that. And a lot of the times these people were not properly prepared. And what I like to tell people is that bankers are not bankers in the sense of the old school, you know, making a decision about making a loan. Right. Bankers are salespeople and they are, you know, charged with hitting certain targets, making certain numbers of loans, et cetera. And if you walk in there poorly prepared and they can't see the opportunity, they're not going to want to spend their time with you. They're going to want to spend their time with someone else. And so what was interesting about that experience is, is these bankers didn't want people going to other banks. They would say, Hey, I know a guy who does like equipment leasing and stuff. Maybe he can help you. And so these people would come to me and sometimes I just had to repackage what they had, create a better cash flow forecast, demonstrate the business's ability to make the payments, et cetera. And I would sometimes send them right back to the banker who referred them to me. Hmm. And, and about half the time they would get approved from the banker who said there was nothing there. Right. right? And so that was a big eye opener to me too, because I realized just how many people are in business doing business growing businesses with no business skills. If right. I want to put the, the quotes around there, you know, and we think about business skills in creating spreadsheets and forecasts and moving the numbers around, they just don't have those skills. They're, they're really good at whatever the operation is that they're doing. They make sure the customer's happy, they collect the money, but there's a lot of it that just kind of gets glossed over. And if you're profitable enough, you can make it that way. And, and again, if you don't know much about business and you're looking from the outside in, you don't see the kind of stuff that's going on in there. You don't really know what the conditions are in those businesses. And then that, um, that broke debt brokerage opportunity opened the door to business brokerage. When I started to meet people that were looking for money to buy businesses that were going, 
And I started to see some of the terrible deals and problems that they were getting themselves into. Sure. And that was around the time of the financial crisis when I got into that. The, the, I mean, the common theme I'm hearing you speak to is the difference between the reality of operation and ownership and the presentation or perception of that, right? No. I, I mean, that what what is that thing, David? Is it lack of experience in the owner? Is it... Uh, I mean, I'm just that that's that's intriguing as you as you talk about that theme. Well, I, I think that the the thing to take away is just that you can't you don't necessarily trust what you see. And it goes in both directions. So I've also seen, you know, that, you know, millionaire next door phenomena where you've got the the business owner who represents themselves, you know, to be, you know, this hardworking person, they're driving the old pickup truck and et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Uh, and then you get to work on their business and you find out that they've got millions of dollars and they're hugely successful and they don't flaunt it. Right. Right. They don't, they don't show it. They, 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 they know that they're successful, but they don't feel the need to show it. And, and then, you know, the opposite is, is equally true. But like I said before, if you look online, you would think that being a business success is about private aircraft and, you know, 600 horsepower supercars. Right. Or growth or some metric that doesn't necessarily put money in your bank account. Mm. Um, but the storytelling is so compelling. The, the, the expectation of reward. And again, I, I think back on, on my journey at that point, 10 years in, I was shocked. I, I mean, I was devastated to learn that the market didn't believe my business had value. Who set you straight? Who told you that? Three cranky brokers who wondered why I was wasting their time trying to get them to be interested in my business. Um, I mean, it, it, people ask, well, what, what, was, what was broken? And it's like, well, in retrospect, as it comes to exit, what wasn't broken, right? Not mm. enough cash flow, too owner dependent, da 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 da. da. Let's let let's let's hit all the highlights. And again, when I when I speak to small business owners now, when when we explore this topic uh, here on the show or in my coaching practice. Part of it is just coming to terms with the reality that you, I, I did 98 things right and I did 98 things not at all or wrong. And it's like, how, how could so much momentum have been built? How could I have been doing so much successfully, but keeping it together with masking tape and, and, and just with, but still with the heartfelt belief that there was a compelling reason for someone to pay me cold, hard cash for this machine that I had built that didn't produce very much cold, hard cash, right? It, it, it's So I've, I've often described this phenomenon that, that when, when somebody believes their business is worth a million dollars or what have you, and then they're told, no, it's worth 320,000. Right. 
I think that some of those people have to go through an actual mourning process to mourn the loss of the 680 that never existed. Right. And so you, you believed your business had this value. And then these guys said, no, it can't be sold. Right. And so you didn't want to believe it, you know, just because in your mind, probably had you allocated that money? Did you know what you were going to spend it on or invest it in? I, I was going to, I, I was, a life in front of you that that money right. was going to fund. That's right. That I, it was it was about a deep desire to be doing something else, and that money was going to make that possible. And here's the thing about it, at least for me, is I ran my business. I mean, I was the guy that would shut the door and spend three days with the spreadsheet before I went out and, and executed the plan. So when you sit down with someone who brings a buyer's perspective to your business and they walk you through a simple but uh, view uh, distorting you know, picture of your business, it, I can remember sitting back and going, that makes so much sense. Hey, a buyer needs to have enough cash flow from the business to earn a living and pay the debt on uh, or you know service the debt they incur to buy the business well of course they do right I, I mean that makes such common sense but here i am you know minutes before that learning point believing the exact opposite passionately mm -hmm. and how and, can and you're not alone i've run into this so many times you know? I, I think it's the default. I think it's how most of us, and, and I, I, I firmly believe it's based in a reality belief that all of my work can't be for nothing. Now, you did eventually exit that business. So what did you do to change? That, that next five years, that transformation of the business, um, like I said earlier, that was the professional pivot for me uh, that has really defined the rest of my career because it was it was the same business, but different, right? I, I often talk uh, when I when I talk to owners, we, we we talk about not we don't talk about right turns, right? We talk about, 2% degree of difference that we project out over time and suddenly we end up in a dramatically different place. It was about looking at the business from a, and looking at the clientele from a profitability perspective and, and being willing to say no to service that didn't uh, help me meet that bottom line goal. Whereas before I would take on clients or work because it helped me support the infrastructure, because mm -hmm. it it helped me cover the nut, and 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 I was I was stable, but I was locked into a model that had no profit. It was about me, uh, and I, I've told this story before. It was about me coming to terms with the fact that I wasn't the guy to run this business day to day, and so I hired people who could run it day to day, and realized that that was half of the solution because they could do their jobs, but only if I wasn't there. Because, because you were, were you hovering uh, over them? I couldn't be in the room and not be that guy, right? Mm -hmm. um, well, we think this is the decision. What does Mike think, right? Because, and Mike's got a scowl on his face or Mike's got, he's, he, so it, it, I mean, 
I had to uh, exile myself to a uh, to a, a different office about 50 miles away where I would go and sit by myself during the day because it was the best thing for my business. I, I was there to answer questions. I was still doing planning things, but I wasn't there screwing up the day to day because I had people better than me at that work doing that work. And so it was it was this awkward, embarrassing dance of, I want to do this, I want to get here, how I'm trying to do it isn't getting me there, so I have to try something different. And all of it designed around this intention to exit. And I, I, that, that to me is, those are magic words in my mind. Um, uh, we, we talk to owners on the, on the podcast here and the, the intentionality of that goal of that desire that I don't think there was any, any change I made that was more important than that. More important than me being able to say, I want to sell this business. I want to Mm -hmm. get out. What does it need to look like for me to be able to do that? Um, and five years later, um, we sold the businesses successfully, and it was it was transformational. It was a, a freaking miracle, and um, everything else afterwards built on that. So, when you made that decision, I'm going to sell this business. You started thinking about the business differently. I think when you made that decision, you joined you know, what I've sometimes referred to as the 10%. The other businesses are in the 90%. And just for everyone who's listening, that was one of the ideas we had for the name of the show, you know, the 90%, right? Right. Um, Because when I had my business brokerage office, I was there for three and a half years. The vast majority of people who came in had a pressing personal motivation. So day in, day out, they never thought about selling their business. Then something occurred. And, you know, divorce, poor health, the need to relocate, uh, burnout fatigue, or suddenly yeah. they decided to retire. And then they would come see me and say, I want to sell my business. Right. And there were only- And then you were that broker who irritatingly said to them, I can't sell this business unless you change X, Y, and Z, right? No, I never said that to anyone. If you had come in, I would say, <laughs> I can sell it for you, but it's going to be this very low price and you're going to finance the whole deal. Right. And if you're ready to go under those circumstances, then I'll bring it to people. Yeah. 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 No, that's truth. That's truth. And so, so very few people ever came in saying, I'm working on a five or 10 year plan. I'd like to learn more about this, see what I should be doing. Like that was rare. And and, then you joined that group when you made that decision. After your exit though, you also became a business broker. I did. I spent a year as a broker. I loved part of that job. Mm. I hated part of that job. And I, I think ultimately for me, I mean, I learned a ton in that in, in that year um, that subsequently helped me substantially. But I think what it came down to for me is two things. I realized how transactional that work is. Mm-hmm. Um, it is meet you, like you, help you sell your business, never hear from you again. And I, I found that um, that didn't necessarily fit well um, for me. But as importantly, I realized that ultimately I'm not the deal guy, right? Um, P- 
people who do that job well. They are, they know what the latest SBA program is. They know where the financing is. They know who to call to do this. They are keeping up on the technical aspects of this um, while they're also holding hands with the owner along the path. And um, it just became very clear to me that uh, that brokerage um, life that, uh, well, and I know you've talked about in the past, that feast and famine um, is a lifestyle that uh, uh, takes a special kind of personality. I mean, you, you lived that several years. How hard is it to plan ahead when you don't know if the deal is going to close or fall apart or. It's, it's, it's incredibly difficult. And, and uh, uh, if you had looked at the financial statements of my brokerage year over year, you would have seen 30 or 40% growth in revenue. Same thing with the, with the earnings, you would have said, wow, what a successful business. But what you would not have known is that in each of those years, there was a stretch of seven to nine months with no closings. And that the way that I got across that was through some very uh, generous uh, credit card limits and lines of credit. And then when deals finally did close, instead of ending up with a mountain of money, which of course is the goal of every business person, I just ended up filling those holes. And so I remember when I, the fall of 2011, um, what, I had six <laughs> deals lined up to close and 2011 was a big year for me because that was also the year I learned that I was getting a divorce, which the whole business broker life thing may have played some part in, right? And so the I had six deals lined up to close and they were going to bring me a quarter million dollars of commissions. One deal fell apart because the bank that had issued a finance letter rescinded it. So they said, yes, we'll do this loan. Then they said, no. We won't do the loan. So that one didn't work. Another one was in a regulated industry where the buyer had to qualify for a license from a government department and they wouldn't issue it. So without that stamp of approval, couldn't happen. That deal didn't happen. Uh, the third one was a franchise and the buyer and seller got, in, got a well, along very well. Um, and then the buyer met the franchisor to go through their whole process. And they just treated him very poorly. And after he went and had those meetings, he basically called me and said, I love the business. I love the seller. I will not put myself under their thumb. I'm not going to sign that franchise agreement. So that deal fell apart. So the, the quarter million dollars turned into about 110,000. And when those three deals closed, I was able to pay off all the credit cards and everything. And then I sat down and said, I cannot live like this uh, you know just in the way that you had to you realized you know with the, your business not closing the first time you wanted to sell it this path in front of me is closing off yeah that's when i had that realization i said i can't carry on down this road because if i don't make a change right now three months from now i'm going to be in the hole again and i'll that's be right. stuck yep. and i won't be able to make a choice and so i i would i did a deal so your exit was that you finally sold to someone. My exit was that I sold the business, air quotes, to my associate who basically signed a deal with me saying he would give me a cut of any closings he happened to achieve on the deals that I had created. Sure. And so I basically had that tale yep. of possibility that was going to be the potential payoff of the work I had put into building that business. So, so he took over. 
we closed the off. I had a 1,250 square foot office with a little boardroom and four private offices, front reception. So we laid off the receptionist uh, who, who later came back and worked for me for a while back in, uh, back in uh, 2021 um, here on, you know, in my business today. Uh, we let her go. Um, the person who took over, Felipe was his name. He didn't want that office. So I called the landlord and I said, uh, I'm closing my office and um, I'm not really giving you any notice, uh, but the rent's really cheap. I'm sure you'll have an easy time finding a new tenant. I'll make sure it's nice and clean. And so I, I knew that I was completely exposed to whatever kind of legal retribution might have happened. But I cleaned the place up. I moved everything out. I swept the floors and mopped the floors and it was all spick and span and beautiful. And we had painted it and everything. So it looked much nicer than when we moved in. And I drove by a month and a half after I had moved out and there was a new tenant in there. Sure. Never heard from them. So, <laughs> you know, they, they did okay. Yeah. And, and then I was off to the races. I, I sat down and I made a, a list. I wrote a job description because I, I knew that I needed to have some kind of income. And I knew that in my heart, I was an entrepreneur and I was going to end up in business again, but I just needed somewhere to land. And with the divorce looming and everything, I knew I needed stability. So I wrote out a job description. This was in December of 2011. I wrote a job description and I, you know, I can paraphrase it. It was, I'm going to be a territory salesperson working from a home office with a car allowance and a company cell phone. And I'm going to be calling on people either in the Maritimes or Atlantic Canada. My boss will be in Toronto, you know, and I'll talk to them on the phone, but I, I won't see them more than twice a year. And I wrote this whole thing out. And uh, January 21st, I think it was the following year, I flew up to report for work for American Express. And I took a position as a, a, the manager of corporate <laughs> products in half of Atlantic Canada. And, and, and that was how I segued out of the world of business brokerage and kind of got that, that, you know, landed on four feet sort of thing to be able to, to live another day and, and plan my future. Sure. But it, was, it was a really big change. Um, and, you know, talk about business exits. I mean, that was the exit. I, I remember when I made the decision, I can't do this anymore. One of the things I did is I had these I had these nice cardboard folders that we would use for client presentation, and I had paid a few hundred dollars for like like a thousand of them or something. And it I was part of a national chain of business brokers, and we had all ordered them together across Canada. And I still had like a whole bunch of these things. And I said, "This is it. I have to close the office." And I was worried that I would change my mind, so I went and grabbed that box of folders. And I carried them out behind the office and I threw them in the dumpster. And I said, there, now it's final. It's You're burning the boats. There's no, there's no going back. I can't make another client presentation because I just threw all the folders away. Yeah. Right. And, and that was the action that kind of exemplified or highlighted the decision. And I, I knew when I did that, 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 yeah, there was no going back. That's so interesting. The uh, you talk about the deals that fell apart at the brokerage, and it flashed. I, I had I had a a week at the end of my time as a broker, 
Um, at the start of the week, I had six listings. At the end of the week, I had three listings. Uh, one of them literally burnt to the ground. Uh, one of them, I discovered that the gentleman who had signed the listing agreement had failed to tell his wife who actually owned the business and who he had decided to leave. Okay. I, I, it was, it, and in that same week, I got a job offer to run a local incubator to help startup and growth companies in my region start up and grow faster. And so it was a, <clears throat> this has been fun guys, but uh, I'm going to dive back into out of that transactional stuff into the nitty gritty growing a business. How do we do this? What do we, you know, what, what's the methodology to set up? Um, but that, uh, the, um, the vapor of deals that just mm -hmm. fades away, um, with just a slight breeze. Um, I, it, that broker, being a business broker is a tough job and I know brokers get beat up on a lot in, in, in this space, um, for, for good reason often, but the reality is it's a tough job. And, um, I'm glad I had the chance to do that job because subsequently I bought and sold two small businesses without using a broker because of the knowledge I had built and the confidence I had built by doing uh, what I had for that year in the brokerage. So it's, it, 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 I mean, we look back on these journeys and you think I couldn't have, I couldn't have lined this up, right? I, I never would have said, this is the path that I'll walk to get to this place. But I found myself uh, at the end of that journey, having sold for business, having purchased uh, two businesses um, having closed two businesses that I failed fast, having been a broker, having sat on this side of the table and that side of the table. And it, it put me in a position where I felt not just from a knowledge basis, but from a emotional experience basis to be able to do what I do now. Right. And so that's, mm. I mean, that, that, that journey that I described this, this exit stuff, at this point, it feels like it's part of my DNA. It, it just, um, it has been such an influence in, in being able to get to where I am. And it has been such a bumpy, eclectic, weird ride along the way. But then you realize as you look at exit, at you look at businesses that want to exit, as you look at owners that aspire to this, that that is the more common journey. I think it's, it's th this picture that we have that exit is a uh, five years out. I'm going to put together a 14 page plan that brings me right. It just, I was having a conversation it, this morning with a, uh, with a consulting client and I, he, he's, you know, all excited about the prospect of selling his business and he's trying to figure out what his timeline is going to be. And he, he started saying what you're just saying now, like, you know, five years of this. And I, yep. and I said, Hey, I said, listen, the getting an offer from someone to buy your business is like winning the lottery, right? Getting to closing day and getting the check is like winning the lottery twice in a row. Mm -hmm. 
Because David, I'm just thinking of how many brokers are cringing out there as you said that. How dare you? They need multiple bidders for their business and we can get them a better offer. But I 100% agree with you. You know, it's it's so many of them, you know, don't get offers. Right. And then the ones that do, then due diligence begins and these other characters come on the scene, the lawyers, the accountants, the bankers, the other experts, and, and then things fizzle out. And then to actually get to the closing day, you know, you know, sometimes have to overcome insurmountable odds to do that too. And it's, it's, uh, it's exciting. I always say that my years as a business broker were very exciting because it was constant uh, problem solving and working out puzzles. How do I get this? How do I help these people arrive at this point where I think both will be happy? How Will I get those other people to agree to make loans or approve licenses or whatever? And um, so it was exciting. I, I do also remember the first time I got paid by American Express. Uh, money appeared in my bank account. I hadn't talked down a you know a buyer from quitting a deal. I hadn't called and convinced a lawyer that that clause was okay. I hadn't called you know. Like I was like, you hadn't lost how, the deal 17 times before you actually like, got it. How did I end up with this money? And I didn't have to achieve any monumental or heroic tasks today. Right. Right. How funny just, is that? I showed up and I did the things they asked me to, and I got money. Right. It, it felt very strange. Very well, strange. That, that, that part of the journey, but w tell us what you do today. I mean, how sure. did that, how did that bring you to where you are today? Yeah. So the, I was working for American Express and spending a lot of time in my car covering a big region from one end of my territory to another it was a, about an 11 hour drive. So I would make meetings and spend four hours driving someplace to visit three people and then come back. And so in the time I was spending in the car, sometimes my phone would ring and it would be people who had come cross paths with me during my business broker days. And they would either someone had given my name to someone or, you know, one of the people I actually had worked with as a buyer or seller would call me up and they would have some other different thing they were working on. And initially I would say to people, you know, I don't do that anymore. But then one day this guy named Bob, who had been one of my buyers when I had the brokerage open, he said, Dave, I'm looking at doing this deal. I've been talking with my accountant. I've been talking with my lawyer. Both of them are telling me what I need to get out of the deal, but, but neither of them seems to be able to assist me with this negotiation or how I should think about this or how I should present this or what have you. Can you help me? And I said, well, I can help you. But in the back of my head, I was just like, how do I get paid? And then I, I just, I was like, oh, well, I can help you, but I have a full-time job, Bob. I'd have to charge you like a consultant or something. And I work regular business hours. And he said, great. He said, where do you live? I'll come to your house on Saturday. And that was the beginning of this little side hustle doing consulting to help people buy and sell businesses. And over the course of a couple of years, it started to grow and grow. Amex decided to reorganize. And when they did, they needed to eliminate some positions. So I was offered a package and they, you know, they give you money for a certain amount of time to go find a new job. I spent the time working on building this consulting business which meant that I wrote some books 
um, you know, my franchise book, my how to sell my own business book, my invest local book, wrote those books, started my YouTube channel and put myself out there into the world saying I can help you buy or sell, not by being a broker, but by doing evaluations, preparing a package for you, helping a buyer analyze a deal. And it just steadily grew and grew. And, and that's what I do full time now. So I eventually added, um, you know, buyers would ask me the same questions over and over again. So I eventually built an, an online course. This is, you know, the basics of buying a business. And I keep adding to that. It's about 13 hours now. And then in 2018, I started a coaching program, group program for people that wanted to buy a business. And so there's consistently about 20 or 25 people in there. We meet three times a month and everyone's talking about their search and the deal and the meeting they had with the seller and we're sharing with each other and I'm giving guidance, but the makeup of the group is pretty incredible. And so people are able to share between themselves. And now we're at the point where some of the members have done multiple deals now. And so we've got a ton of experienced deal makers in the group who are sharing their experience with the new people too. So that's, that's what I do today. It's, it's, you know, answering questions online that brings people into, you know, my marketing funnel as it were. So, so they can then hire me for marketing, uh, hire me for consulting services or take one of my online programs that I have or join that, that coaching group. And uh, I sometimes work with sellers too, in the same fashion, I'll evaluate their business, show them what it would likely sell for, create a package for them so that they can go put it on biz by sell themselves if they want, if they don't want to use a broker. So kind of that, that, you know, in a lot of markets, there's a FISBO real estate operator saying, you know, I'll let you use a sign and I'll help you sell it on your own. I guess I'm kind of doing that too in the world of small businesses. And when they're big enough and complex enough, I I tell people, I'm like, you need a broker for this. You need someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating. And and again, it's, it's thematically consistent, right? You are now translating a business to a buyer, a, a, right? Helping sellers understand how they're going to be viewed. Is it is primarily um, business analysis, uh, it, it, coaching? What? Uh, how would you characterize it? Yeah. So what I've done is I've taken the different parts of the process and, and productized them. Okay. So I've, I've chunked it down and put fixed pricing on the different parts. So if somebody says, you know, I'm looking at this business, I think I might want to buy it. I've got a a package. So, you know, for this amount of money, I'll do a buyer insight analysis is what I call it. Run it through a simple model. But because I've looked at a hundred dry cleaners with different people over the years, I can look at a dry cleaning business's set of financials and very quickly get to the points that are key. Right. And, and then, you know, run some comparables, look up some, some information in some of the different databases and resources I have show how the subject company benchmarks against the average in the industry and just kind of lead this buyer through it and say, you know, here are the things in particular we need to look out for. I recently had one, for example, where it was a contracting business and it was extremely successful. And, and I said, you know, here's my concern. Everything we're looking at here looks great. And I can't see anything that is standing out as incorrect about these financial statements. But the average EBITDA margin in this industry is 11%. And this business has an EBITDA margin of 26%. Hmm. So what does that mean? But why why is it so much better? 
Right. Can, can he get higher prices? Does he have no competition? Can he find labor that was willing to work for less? Like, like why is he able to pull it off? And I said, that's a question that needs to be answered in due diligence. Yeah. Or, or are there expenses simply missing that were not put into these financials? And, and, and so that's kind of the experience I try to bring to it is that even if everything looks good, what might that even mean? Yeah. As far as problems that could exist. That's that, uh, sense of smell, if you will, right? It, it, it's it's understanding that things don't always appear the way they look. I call it skeptical, skeptical pragmatism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yourself, Mike, I mean, you, you're at exitoasis.com. Tell me about a regular day in the life of Mike now. Oh, yeah. So it, it uh, like I said, I, I, I did the incubator thing um, for, for three years loved that. And truly it, it regenerated my energy to, um, be the owner again. So, like I said, I, I was able to do two, uh, purchases and turnarounds for sale. And what I found at the end of, of doing those is that, um, I'd proven to myself that I knew what I learned in the first uh, exits, right. That, that I, I would, I'd able to been able to prove that pattern. And uh, so sat down and said, what, what do I want to spend my time doing? Where, where, is the, where is the engagement from a work perspective that helps me feel not just rewarded financially, but um, rewarded from a, a use of my time perspective? And so what I do now at Exit Oasis is I coach small business owners who are interested in getting their business ready for sale. And I, I choose those words carefully because ultimately I don't care if they sell their business. Hmm. Um, uh, why? Because I've had too many clients that through this process of changing the business fall back in love with the business. And so that is a huge win, right? Um, a, a, a business that is ownable is sellable. Those mm -hmm. are the same thing. And so helping owners um, take a look at their business as it exists now through pragmatic eyes and then decide what their true exit goal is. For some, it's I want to hit this number. For some, it is I don't want to have to work more than X hours a week. Um, I want to transfer ownership to a family, whatever it is that we, we set that goal as, and then we, um, we backwards engineer, right? We say, okay, to get here, what does the business need to look like? This is what it looks like, like now. What is the path from what it looks like now to what it needs to look like? And that's the path we start to walk. And um, the fun part of what I do is I spend half my time inside the business with the owner, and I spend half my time inside the owner's head with the owner because we are our um, we are the cause of and solution to most of the problems in our small businesses uh, in my experience uh, as owners. So uh, an average day for me, I, I'm, I'm on I'm coaching calls where we are uh, uh, progressing forward pragmatically towards where they want to be. Like I said earlier, I'm not a 14 page document guy. I am a 
what's going on today? Does it trump the path that we're on? Has, has, you know, has have circumstances, and you know that was a lesson learned. I, I had a, a fairly, um, I don't want to say rigid, but a, a defined curriculum at the beginning, and then found myself um, ha- being at the end of a call when I finally ask, "Well, has anything significant happened since the last time we talked?" Only to find out that they've gotten a divorce or that right. their key manager left or, and here, here I am trying to um, provide a curriculum that is uh, null and void because of reality. And so my first question of every call is what's happened since the last time we've talked, if nothing takes us off course, then we're back on course and we're targeting the goals and we're um, so it's, it's that journey of, uh, of change for a business and for the owner, and it has been just incredibly rewarding. Um, coming to the end of this year, I'm looking at a year where uh, 20 to 30% of my clients will have exited their business wow. um, this year. So it's, uh, um, it's been good, David. I am, I'm thoroughly enjoying what I'm doing. I've never been more professionally satisfied than I am right now. And this is the reason I'm doing this show right? Mm -hmm. Because this place that the people that we talk to find themselves, I've been there. I know how dark it is in that hole. And I figured out a way to climb out of it. And we can do that together, right? And that's, that's the journey I think we're on with them is helping them see there is, there's a way to get from where you are now to the place that you want to be if you're open to change and different perspectives about what it is that you're actually doing. And we and we've seen that. I mean, and for you know, for people that are watching, no surprise, the the order of the episodes as they're being presented is not necessarily the order in which they've been recorded. So right, right. The the uh, we've already seen uh, in this season one that there are some people that have gotten themselves into some very tight spots. Absolutely, and, and they just don't know how to fix it. That's right. And we've also seen already that if they're willing to engage that process of change through some of the work that our partners are, are willing to provide, that uh, some really cool things are happening to them in terms of their business and the goals they're trying to accomplish. So it's uh, it's been very rewarding to watch this happen on the show in just the short amount of time that we've been doing it. But as you and I talked about at the very beginning, David, um, we had the conversation early on where we were both, I don't want to do this just to produce content. I don't want, this isn't about funneling clients to our business. If we can't help, if we can't make a difference for the people that we're working with on the show and the people who are listening, why would we spend the time doing it? And, And it's been really encouraging to see the, uh, the impact that, that just, a couple engagements have had for some of these small business owners. Yes. And, you know, wow, we've been talking for quite a bit here. We should probably, uh, you know, get the megaphone out here and promote ourselves a little bit. If you've been listening and you're listening until the end, obviously you're, you're interested in what we're talking about. And so if you want to make sure you don't miss any of these episodes, 
head over to yourexitsquad.com, which will take you to the YouTube landing page, and you can click subscribe there if you'd like to watch it in video format. And if you are a business owner that believes that they you know, need a little bit of help to work towards that exit, uh, and you think you might want to have your story shared on the show, whether anonymously uh, or on camera, it's completely up to you. Then we have a, a form over at yourexitsquadguests.com uh, that you can fill in and, uh, and we can reach back out to you. And- It'll take just a minute. It's a, it's a simple form. We're not fishing for a lot of information. Um, we have certain elements that, um, that we need to see for it to work for you. And so, yeah, by all means, hop over there and, and give it a gander. Yep. And through the course of the season one, you're going to meet a few of our partners and if you are someone who works with small business, it doesn't matter what area of discipline. Um, if you want to help out someone that might appear on this show, head over to yourexitsquadpartners.com. There's another form there that you can fill in. Let us know what your area of expertise is, where you are in the world, your contact information. And uh, when we meet someone that needs your kind of help, there can be an opportunity for you to be able to work with that guest. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's been fun to see the partners engage and uh, the impact that they're having. And I, and I think it's going to be good for partners as well to be able to tell the story of the service they provide and see the impact they make. So Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, I, I, I thanks for spending some time chit-chatting with me, Mike. Um, I know I've heard parts of your story over the course of the years that we've known each other, but it's it's great to have it all laid out, you know, the way you have, because it it makes it clear to me, you know, how you've ended up here and to know that your your heart's in the right place to help people out. Well, and the same for you, David. I mean, the 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 experience that you have, the knowledge that, that you have that you share, um, it, it's exciting to uh, to see you do it on your YouTube channel and other places. And it's been fun to see you do it here as well. So I'm uh, looking forward to that continuing. Awesome. All right, everyone. Have a great day and, uh, and we'll see you next week.